broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Again, our thanks to uh, our, guy, our, our good friend Q Myers for spending a half an hour with us today, kind of a boner, uh, bonus uh, half hour uh, with us today, um, talking about you know everything that happened yesterday uh, with the tweet, uh, but then also uh, Micah Parsons, um, you know the Raiders draft. Uh, it, it, it is kind of interesting, um, you know, uh, when you when you look at what's going on with Micah Parsons and. You're looking at some of these mock drafts where he is slipping, and you read some of the things that have, that have happened, um, you know, over the uh, over the years. Uh, a lot of it when he was, you know, younger, teenager. Uh, there was an incident, I guess, where he poured some water uh, on a, on a teammate that led to some fisticuffs uh, over at Penn State. Uh, Devon um, uh, brought up the um, incident at the school, at the high school, uh, where he yelled that somebody had a gun. Um, not the smartest thing to do, but again. Was he 16 to 17 years old? I'm not condoning it, but sometimes perspective is needed. And, uh, you know, if he's learned from those situations, uh, then maybe you're getting somebody that's a much more aware person at this stage in their life uh, and somebody that's, you know, much more prone to being a solid citizen for you rather than an immature uh, person. And the last thing that the Raiders need, uh, or any team for that matter, needs is... Uh, a, a high dose of immaturity uh, from somebody that they're counting on uh, big time. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, all these guys are choir boys um, or, or anything like that, but you can go to any office uh, across America, any workplace across America, and you're going to have all sorts of different levels, uh, you know, of maturity of, um, you know, just, you know what I'm talking about. It's, 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 it's the ones that can't operate uh, or, or are so immature that it just becomes such a drag uh, on things. There's plenty of players in the NFL that like to have fun uh, across sports um, that are just regular human beings. You know, they 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 come to work. Not everybody is the perfect citizen. Not everybody's uh, got the perfect work ethic. Not everyone's got you know the perfect this or or that. And, and as a as an organization, as a team, you know, you have to be aware of that, and you have to. Um, you have to have an infrastructure in place, not just with um, the teammates that are around, you know, some of the players that are, you know, a little bit less than ideal in terms of the majority, but you have to have within the organization, there's, there's people that are literally dedicated in organizations to, um, for that very purpose, you know, whether it's to find a home, whether it's, you know, paying bills, whether it's money management, whether it's psychology, um, you know, just being sort of a life kind of a coach, uh, they, they, all of those things are in place uh, in organizations as there are in, in many you know, businesses, uh, not necessarily, you know, all of the things that I just mentioned, but there's. Uh, hey, Vinny, there can I is, add something? Yeah, go ahead. We're, we're more, I'm, Cause I'm doing more research on this, um, on this gun incident. He didn't, it's not like he shouted gun and then like the entire school, like went crazy into pandemonium. 
he shouted it and then the school suspended him because oh you're trying it's like when the school like the school tries to make that decision where they're just like you were trying to incite a riot you shouted that because you wanted to create some trouble so we don't know the context of him and his friends where they could have been joking out joking off about or whatever the school hears that and then it's like oh no this guy it's like that's like it's like a go to we heard it go to the principal's office you were trying to create some trouble you're suspended for three days and that's what happened the three day suspension so there there was no riot. No, there was no riot. The school said he was trying to incite a riot. Ah, okay. It's yeah. He didn't. Um, shout, he didn't shout gun in like the school. Like you know, people were getting trampled. No. Yeah, and and thank you for for pointing that out because when I saw the word riot, I, I, I thought to myself, I think we would have seen or heard, you know, with with the the constant twenty four hour news cycle and all, all the uh, coverage of the NFL draft uh, and all the you know, the, the stories that they've done on so many of these players, you would have figured that at some point somebody would have talked to students at that school if there was a riot. And there would have probably been footage of this riot. So thank you very much, um, you know, for, for clearing that for clearing that up. You know, I, I think about when I was in high school and I'll share a, a, a stupid little story in my own uh, in my own right. Um, so, you know, so back in the day, what we were going to do, uh, I, was in, I was in junior high. At, the, at that time, junior high school was 7th through 9. Uh, now it's middle school, 6th through 8. But in our day, it was 7th, grade 7 through 9. You're in junior high school. And, you know, I was your quote-unquote kind of jock kind of a guy. So that's who all my friends were, were the jocks. You know, the guys that played sports, football, you know, baseball, basketball, all that. Um, and so we were all kind of hung out. And we were all, you know, uh, good friends and tight friends. And we could... You know, we can do some dumb things, let's put it that way, as a group. So one day we decided, and we planned it for a week, uh, that we were going to have a food fight. I don't know if they're still in vogue these days, but some of the older crowd will, will remember and understand that back in the day there were food fights where you'd just get up in the cafeteria and start chucking food at each other, and it would start a big food fight. And so we had that planned out, and it, we had it all planned out. And so the day of... <laughs> The, the food fight, we're in the cafeteria, and lo and behold, there's teachers like at every corner of that cafeteria watching us. Someone had gotten, you know, given word that we were gonna that we were gonna have this food fight, and the teachers were not gonna let that happen. So they were like policing the cafeterias. So they were like, oh man, now we can't have our food fight. So we took it outside. We were all we were all geared up with all this stuff, apples, oranges. We were just gonna start throwing it. And and one of our friends decides he's gonna chuck an apple across the quad area, all right? Lo and behold, as he throws it, an older janitor, um, this guy must have been in his 60s or so, is walking across the quad, um, you know, with some boxes uh, on a gurney, all right? This apple nails him, Damon, right in the chest, and he goes down like he, like a pitcher uh, an apple. Apples are hard, and it, would, it flew all the way across. It came right down on him, nailed him in the chest. He goes down. But they, they had to, there was medical attention that was needed, and um, our, the vice principal Tony Musual, the great late Tony Musual, um, just started storming across campus, pointing to all of us. All he knew who the culprits were because we were always the ones that were doing stupid things. You, 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 into my office right now. And we got the scolding of our lives. He was threatening to call the police and everything like that. So, but that happened. And I'm not saying this was the same type of situation, but it sounds like something It's a good similar. comparison, I think. What's that? I said it's a good comparison, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, 
we, we all ended up okay. We all ended up uh, fine. And I saw many fights in school. Uh, I got into fights. Um, so it's just kind of part of sometimes, you know, growing up. Now, I don't know the full extent, the full details, you know, with, with Micah Parsons, but it sounds like it's, it's more toward some immaturity issues um, that hopefully have been rectified by now. Uh, and, and again, when I, when I start talking about the infrastructure that's in place within teams and organizations, uh, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. And I'm pretty sure fans understand that. There's a lot of things that go on. Not everybody's the straight and arrow. There's issues that happen. Um, I don't know of anything specific with the Raiders, but in speaking in generalizations just across sports, there's a lot of things that you're dealing with. You're talking about 53 human beings at any given time, um, you know, uh, coming from all different backgrounds, coming from all different levels of, of, of education, um, you know, uh, bringing issues with them, uh, whether it was, you know, family issues growing up or whatever the case might be. And, and what you're trying to do is get the most, what you, ultimately what you're trying to do is put these guys in the best possible position to deliver and to be accountable and, and deliver production every Sunday. And some of that just means, you know, lending a helping hand throughout their time on the team to give them every bit of support that they can because everyone comes to it at a different level of maturity, a different level of experience. So you have all these things in place, like I said, Everything from, from you know, fi counseling, finding places to live, managing budgets. Um, you know, guys are going straight from college to the NFL with all this money and all this responsibility. Think about it. When you're, in, when you're a college football player, um, you're, you're eating at, you know, during the season or even in the offseason, you're eating at the training table. You know, that's where your food's coming from. Uh, you're not really doing, you know, if guys that have, you know, uh, apartments off campus, they're, they're, you know, kind of getting into the whole living on their own uh, type of situation. But it's just different. All of a sudden you have all this money, all this time. Uh, you don't have to go to school anymore. Uh, practices during the season are from, you know, you get there 7 o'clock in the morning. You're probably out of there by 5, 6 o'clock sometimes. But you have all, you know, there's no school. There's no uh, homework to do uh, afterwards. There's a lot of free time um, and and teams are aware of that and, and a lot of guys completely get it and understand it and have no issues whatsoever but there are guys on any given team that struggle a little bit with all of those type of things or with some of those type of things and you need to have the proper infrastructure in place as an organization to deal with all of that um, and whatever level of, 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 of uh, maturity uh, and you know where they are at that stage of their life so you know if you're going to take a chance on a Micah Parsons uh, who has shown who has a history of, of some um, you know immaturity and doing some 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 things that could make you kind of scratch your head and give you some worry and when you start talking about millions upon millions of dollars that you're going to invest in him um, and a high draft pick and all the expectations that come with it and the fact that you need him uh, to be out there on Sundays making plays for you you have to take all of that into account. But if you're an organization that feels like, look, are there some rough edges uh, that, that, that we have to account for? Are there some issues that we're going to have to be aware of? Is there some help that we're going to maybe have to provide him? 
Um, and if the answer is yes to all of those questions, then you have to ask yourself, all right, do we have the right leadership uh, within our coaching ranks, within the team itself as teammates, and as an organization to be able to bring somebody in with maybe some, some red flags and feel confident that we're going to be able to make this right, to get this right, and to get him on the right track. That's the question that a lot of teams obviously are starting to ask right now about Micah Parsons. And if you're with the Raiders, you can answer that question. Yes, we do believe that we have uh, everything in place uh, to bring on a player like this and, and, and help him along. Uh, then there should be no reason not to uh, you know, pull the trigger if he's there at number 17. And if you're really confident, maybe even trading up for him, if you feel like you need to jump ahead of somebody to go get him. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listen line. Dennis is on the line, wants to talk about the Raider. Raiders. How are you doing, Dennis? Hey, Vinny. How are you? Doing really good. Thank you. Good. Love the show. Missed part of today, but I try and catch it every single day. Uh, but I did catch the tail end of the whole Mika Parsons discussion here about mm-hmm. linebackers. And for one, I think the Raiders absolutely have to go after a linebacker this draft. Uh, and Mika Parsons would be the guy. Uh, the other guy, obviously, is out of Notre Dame. I can't pronounce his last name, but Jeremiah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Awusu yeah. Koromora. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but I. How can you pass on a guy like Mika Parsons? When I look back at the Raiders, and I've been going since 1974 to Oakland Raider games, when you look at guys like Philip Villapiano, who, uh, you know, would fight at every chance he could get in Bowling Green, and then you got a guy like uh, Matt Millen, who I think punched uh, one of the New England uh, executives during, you know, uh, after the game when uh, the Raiders had beat New England. Some of these things that are being tossed around about this kid is just unfair. I really think the Raiders need to give him a chance, and they certainly need a solid linebacker that can cover people like Travis Kelsey or running backs coming out of the backfield. We haven't had a guy like that since uh, what Greg Beekert, maybe or Rod. Yeah, Beckert, no, you're, you're, that's that's a good uh, that's that's a good call right there. Um, and 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 you're right. Uh, I'll. I always tell this story, a uh, funny story about, I don't know if you remember, you, you, 1974, you should remember Randy White then from the Dallas Cowboys, right? The defense player with the yeah. Dallas Cowboys. Tremendous football player, uh, University of Maryland. Uh, the Cowboys, he tells a story about how the, the Cowboys come out to the University of Maryland uh, on the visit, you know, to visit them. And uh, they <laughs> they take him to a basically a bar, you know, like, a, like it must have been a pub or something like that. Uh, to get some food and, and whatever. Well, he ends up getting into a fight while on the visit with the Dallas Cowboys uh, and punches some guy out and then resuming the meeting. And, and everyone's like, well, you know, what happened? Because I don't know. I, they they must have been okay with it because they drafted me like third overall or whatever it was uh, in in that draft. So, so you know, I mean, uh, like, and you mentioned some names, uh, some some Raider greats uh, that, and you know this, being a Raider fan, um there, there have been players that uh, they've had to try to curtail and bring into the fold, accept some of the uh, idiosyncrasies and some of the um, drama, if you will, uh, but be, but also be able to have that leadership in place and that infrastructure in place that when it came down to it, these guys were accountable, dependable, and productive football players. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think this guy's going to be just fine. And the fact that he's dropping on the boards is great because if they don't take him at 17, they're crazy. I know we need an offensive tackle. I know we need a safety. 
but at this point, I think we need a player that can make differences right now with Travis Kelsey, uh, with guys coming out of the backfield. We got killed the last couple of years with running backs coming out and couldn't be covered or tight ends that couldn't be covered, whether it be Hunter Henry or Travis Kelsey. And a guy like this could make that uh, change for us. So I'd really like to see him go after a linebacker in this uh, first pick of the draft, man. Well, uh, Dennis, I really appreciate it. And we'll see. I I, I would say this, the only way to me, uh, if Michael Parsons is there at number 17, the only way the Raiders pass on him is if there were some major red flags that we just uh, aren't privy to or just don't know about. And all these teams, trust me, have done as much due diligence as they possibly can. Uh, And to the extent that they can, uh, with this being, you know, another year where, you know, teams really couldn't get out on campuses to do all the, you know, the, the, the secondary Kind of, kind of background checks that they do when they're talking to you know the equipment guy and the cafeteria people and you know the the, the all the the support staff that deals with players on a daily basis you know for the last three or four years or so to get really good insight on on, on what these kids are all about and trying to separate uh, the bad apples from the good apples and as we've talked about so many times regarding the draft the draft there's a level of, of uncertainty that just can't be ignored. Um, you just don't know, no matter who it is that you draft, whether it's the first pick overall or the last pick overall, you, you, you just don't know when it all comes down to it, does that player have what it takes in terms of the work ethic? Does that player have what it takes in the heart? Uh, once he gets paid, is he going to you know kind of get uh, uh, satisfied and overly satisfied and not work as hard anymore? There's a lot of uncertainty that you just don't know until you get into it with that player. Um, so that's in and of itself. That's like uh, an established, it's there. There's nothing you can do about it other than hope for the best in terms of that. What you're trying to do with all the other parts of it is trying to uh, mitigate or minimize as much risk as you can on all these players. You know that there's going to be a level of certainty, period, of, a, of uncertainty, period. Uh, but... You know, if there's other issues, if you're getting bad information on guys, if you're getting, you know, uh, equipment people or assistant coaches or the dorm, you know, the the, the, the the person that runs the dorm saying, hey, I would steer clear of this guy. And here's why. Uh, then, you know, you just have to do it. You have to heed those warnings, uh, especially when it comes to first round picks, because then it's on you. We already know that there's that there are that there is a level of uncertainty and risk. No matter who it is you draft, at whatever point in the draft you draft them, uh, but the, the key is, and the good teams are able to do that, is try to eliminate as much of that risk as possible when you finally make a, a, a selection on a player. Uh, it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be clean. There's always going to be some level of, uh, you know, uh, you, we're going to have to fix this. We're going to have to get that. Rec- we're going to be have to be aware of that uh, with this player. But um, if you can whittle all those negatives or all those that uncertainty down to just the basic ones and some things that you feel like you can overcome uh, that's when you have a comfort level in, in making a, a draft pick but if you don't and we don't know this about michael parsons uh, from the raiders perspective at all but if, if they don't have that confidence and if they feel like there's just a little bit too much there then it's understandable uh, that you pass on a player uh, that good at that point in the draft you're in the huddle with vinnie bonsignor brought to you by tequila embajador 
no one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Without further ado, we'd like to uh, go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend, uh, Mike Pritchard, uh, from uh, former NFL uh, wide receiver, uh, first-round pick. He's also the co-host, Pritch and Clay, uh, here on Raider Nation Radio, uh, weekdays from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. He's going to work a little uh, overtime for us, uh, spend a little time with us in the huddle. Mike, how you doing, my brother? I'm doing great, Vinny. How you doing, bro? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, You know, we're talking about Michael Parsons. And uh, I really wanted to get your um, uh, insight on this because with Michael Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State, uh, as who seems to be falling a little bit, um, you know, in, in the draft, could fall to number seventeen to the Raiders on the field. There's no question what kind of a talent Michael Parsons is. There are some red flags, um, you know, uh, some maturity issues uh, that that have been you know part of his journey. Let's put it that way. And so some concerns, yeah. and maybe that's why he's you know falling a little bit in the draft. Uh, Mike, you've played at every level uh, of sports uh, and professionally uh, in, in the NFL. And I know that you know uh, that not everybody on a 53-man roster uh, is going to be an altar boy or a straight arrow. Um, everybody has their own journey that they bring uh, to an NFL locker room, to an NFL team. Uh, some guys you don't have to worry about. Other guys you have to be a little bit aware of. Uh, so infrastructure becomes really important within the leadership of your locker room, your coaching staff, the infrastructure that you have as an organization to be able to you know help guys along. And, and you know that that happens in organizations. Um, is there you've seen it and you've seen every one of the guys, the straight arrows and the not so straight arrows in locker rooms that you've played on. Um, how much of a concern? Is that when you're talking about some immaturity issues uh, with, with with a guy that's coming into the NFL? Yeah, you know, Vinny, it's a great question because um, um, how crooked is that arrow, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I tell you this: I know teams they tolerate a lot if you make plays and you help them win games. Um, you know, you can think of Michael Irvin, for instance. I mean, I, I played with um, a number of guys in which. From a character standpoint, he cringed a little bit. You know, the lifestyle and what they were doing, some of the decisions they were making. Um, certainly, you were concerned about that. But, but the fact that they were balling on the field, uh, you know, that kind of took a back seat to the playmaking ability on the field. So I think now with social media, though, and, and the scrutiny, uh, from the National Football League. I mean, we're talking about three decades ago. But so now, uh, I, I think there's more conscious, there's, there's more thought into the fact that, okay, if a player has a particular character flaw or issue, you know, how big of an issue is it? Is it fixable? Is it something you can work with? If it's not, we'll move on from that player. But if it's something that is just about maturity, then uh, teams will probably still draft that player because the playmaking ability is something that the, the league covets. To your knowledge, uh, being around professional sports, um, what sort of things are in place, uh, infrastructure-wise, um, to maybe be able to better help you know, uh, uh, the kid that might come in that, that might be a little bit rough around the edges? I've mentioned things like you know, the, the counseling, psychologists, mm-hmm. nutritionists, people that help you 
find places to live and maybe manage your budget. There's a lot of um, assistance that's now available and it speaks to what you were talking about with the awareness now that more and more teams I think have uh, and the importance of being able to nurture some guys along. But from your perspective, uh, what would be in place for somebody that might need a little bit of extra help? Um, a lot of time is mentoring. Um, there, there's departments in, in the league with certain teams, uh, player development, like you mentioned. Um, you know, there is a counseling available, certainly from the league. The resources are there. Uh, but a lot of times uh, you have guys, former players that are employed by the team now that are there to kind of show these young guys the ropes. You know, that's your only job. Hey, man, call me if you feel like you're in a situation. Hey, man, call me if you need a ride or, or call me uh, if you need to talk about something. I've been there. I've done that. I've been through uh, what you're about to go through. So uh, I think a lot of teams are doing that from a for, former player standpoint, that mentoring. Um, and, and that is valuable. That is so valuable to a young player because you're immediately in the fast lane, Benny. I mean, you go from being broke and hungry in college to now you're in a fast lane, man. And, and a lot of guys, they can't cope with that. And, and then if you have character issues on top of that, it really gets difficult for you. So I think over the years, the teams have really stepped up with resources to kind of help the fellas out. Um, now, when we, when we, all those other, uh, you know, the, whatever the red flags might be uh, aside, when you do look at a Michael Parsons, and I'm sure you've, you've, you've done some homework on him and watched some tape on him, uh, what stands out uh, about this talent, and how would you see a player like that fitting into what Gus Bradley uh, is trying to do defensively? Well, the athleticism is off the charts. I think um, there was a time when, when linebacker was the most athletic player on the field. Uh, now you can say tight end is one of the most athletic positions on the field. When you look at a Darren Waller, right? You look at a Kittle, you look at a Kelsey. Uh, the receiver position is always explosive, but there, there's not a lot of things that separate that. But there's some players on the field that are just, uh, they get after it. They're playmakers. They can, they can stop their run. They can get back in passing lanes. Uh, uh, they can decipher plays on offense. Uh, they can rush the quarterback. I mean, all these things. So, I think for Michael Parsons, man, he's got the athleticism that's just off the charts. He has the dimensions that allows him to be coached up and be a playmaker. Uh, and, and that's how I would sum him up. He's a playmaker. And you can have playmakers on defense, you know, not necessarily uh, at specific positions like in the secondary. I mean, typically we look at playmakers that way or, or off the edge. Michael Parsons can come off the edge. Man, he can come through the A gap, through the B gap. He can loop around. He can get tackles for losses. He can scrape from sideline to sideline. He is just an, an incredible athlete uh, that uh, any team looking to be dynamic defensively uh, could use a player like this. I'm going to throw uh, two um, athletic traits out and numbers, basically, uh, and, and I want your reaction in regards to young Micah Parsons, uh, 40-yard dash at his pro day, 4.39 seconds. It's the best or ties for the best um, among linebackers over the last five years. Uh, ties Isaiah Simmons, uh, who last year ran a 4.39 as well. Guys right below them, Devin White, Devin Bush, Darren Lee, Patrick Queen, Kevin Murray, Hassan Reddick, Vic Beasley, and Jordan Brooks. So 4.39 as a linebacker, number one. Number two. 
the three clone drill, which I know uh, you're probably a, a, a strong advocate of knowing that operating in space and the quickness and the agility in space is probably a whole lot more important than how fast you could run your 40 uh, in a straight line. So the three cone drill, uh, the best uh, over the last five years was a guy by the name of TJ Watt at 6.9 seconds. Uh, right after that, Leeton Vander Ersch at 6.88 seconds. And then right behind there, Micah Parsons at 6.89 seconds. When you hear that type of agility, that type of speed, that type of quickness, what are you thinking when you, when you hear those numbers? Uh, it just confirms the athleticism. Um, it just con- it confirms the explosiveness, uh, the change of direction, um, certainly the balance, the footwork, to be able to be that quick uh, inside uh, a confined area. If you're, you're talking about the cone drills and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, the straight-ahead speed, uh, you know, the 40, the 40, like you said, the 40, it's not like you're going to run 40-yard dashes every single play. But are you explosive? And, and that's what the 40 is all about to start being explosive, that first step, getting downhill and running game, uh, which you see on tape all the time from Micah Parsons, but then also, um, you know, being able to to run and, and get after somebody if they get to the edge. You know, at linebacker, you're going to backpedal a lot, so, you know, you're not talking about that straight line 40 speed, uh, but you are focused in on the explosive nature of that player. And so everything, all those stats, that you just laid out, it kind of it just it just confirms the athleticism uh, from this player, and it's off the charts, man. I, I think in the right system, Benny, he can be a difference maker and, and one of those type of players that you covet. Well, when you when you tap the forty yard dash as a wide receiver, it makes a lot of sense. And I know you guys uh, love the forty yard uh, dash and, and the time. What was it back in your day? I want to I want to hear your your top end forty. Oh mine, so made, mine! I topped yeah. out. I topped out at a four three six. Ah, uh, not bad, not bad. Now, how, <laughs> yeah. How you 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 just explain it in such a way that I've never really thought of it like that. That, that explosion of getting mm-hmm. out and getting out quickly and sustaining it, um, and so that does definitely stand for something. I think a lot of people are kind of not shying away from the forty yard dash, but they're putting it in a little bit more perspective or a different perspective than they've had, but. What you, how you just explained it makes all the sense in the world. It does show that level of explosiveness, not just getting off very quickly because that is going to get you off you know, on, on the right foot, so to speak, but then also sustaining it uh, through the finish line. Um, and so there's definitely something that you said, 4-3, not bad, man. Not bad. You yeah. were scooting, you were scooting <laughs> yeah. back in the day. Um, all right, so with that 17th down, pick man. overall, Mike, <laughs> go ahead. I, no, I was saying I was picking them up and putting them down, Vinny. You know, you one, of, one, of, <laughs> one of the teams told me that I worked out for is because I had the fastest 20 down, 20 times. So with the 40, you know, that's, that's the headliner. Everybody look at the 40 and, and, you know, they'll break that down. But at the combine and then certainly when they're timing you, they actually record your 20 time. So what was your 20 speed? Uh, and, and, again, that's another indicator of how explosive you can be. And if you look at a wide receiver uh, position specific, all the routes are within 20 yards except a couple of them. A few of them are, are those vertical routes that go beyond 20 yards. So uh, I think what helped me for my draft and going as high as I did was I had the fastest 20 time uh, out of any receiver that year. I love it. What a great claim to fame, too. 
and, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and remembering that all these years later, Mike, uh, not, not surprising either, you know, hey, I was the fastest dude in the 20 <laughs> in, that, in that space uh, in my draft class. Um, uh, congratulations on that. And I know you were fast, so there's no question uh, about, about that, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that you, you did have the, uh, the fastest 20 um, uh, of that yeah. group. So uh, all these years later, congratulations on that. While we're staying on the whole speed and wide receiver uh, aspect. Um, I got to ask you about Henry Ruggs. Um, you know, last okay. year, I, I'm not going to say it was a lost year because I don't look at things like that. If you're in there practicing, learning, developing, um, getting your feet wet, there's something to be said, even just for that factor on the field. It, there were some definitely ups and downs, uh, with, 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 with Henry and uh, some injuries that he had to deal with. Uh, the, there wasn't a great productive year, uh, for him as m- maybe some people would have hoped or expected, what are you expecting uh, from Henry Ruggs in year two, and what do you want to see from him from a technical aspect playing wide receiver? I'm expecting a leap forward, um, and, and I mean like a leap. I'm not talking about a few steps. I'm talking about a leap, and uh, maybe into game breaker, which he's capable of doing that. Um, the The Raiders have a number one go-to target, and that's Darren Waller. We all know that, but the compliment, I think Henry Ruggs can be an incredible compliment to that and what he could present uh, to the Raiders offensively uh, will add to that point total that we see up on the scoreboard each and every Sunday or a Monday or Thursday night or whatever uh, night they're playing on, game day they're playing on. But I, I think there's, there's a tremendous upside there. The only thing I see missing from him, Vinny, is some assertiveness like I want the damn ball kind of assertiveness. I mean, Keyshawn Johnson comes to mind, you know, and there's there's nothing wrong with that at the wide receiver position because here's why. It's a big play position. Whether you're making a catch for a first down or you're making a catch to change field position or you're making a catch for a touchdown, they're all big plays. I mean, you could run a three-yard slant route for a first down. That's a big play because you're keeping the drive alive. So, you have to think that way, that I'm all about making big plays or being a playmaker out here, and that's asserting yourself and then certainly demonstrating to your head coach who's a play caller who used to be a receiver's coach that I want the damn ball because I think coaches, they feed off of that. They love that. They love when players are confident uh, because it gives them comfort to call plays. And uh, if we start to see that from Henry Ruggs at third, I mean, I think he could have a hell of a year. Well, when you mention, and uh, last question, and I really appreciate the time, when you mention uh, him playing off of a Darren Waller, uh, which I think is definitely uh, the plan, uh, could we make a case, and I don't want to just throw this out there because this is illustrious company, but I think that this was always sort of the vision uh, anyway. Uh, when you throw out a Tyreek Hill um, and, a, and, a, and a Kelsey in Kansas City, that's kind of the, the prototype of that, you know, number one target tight end and uh, a guy that can do it all unbelievable athlete unbelievable speed that can play off of them and then complement each other is that kind of what your vision is that he could possibly be something along those lines not gonna you know say he's Tyree Kill that's right now that's that's out there too far out there maybe um, but a lot is that what you're thinking is that what your your vision is uh, along those type of lines yeah, absolutely. I think uh, if Henry Ruggs the third improves his route running, I mean, he could be um, 
that deep dagger, that deep comeback, uh, those Dino gadget routes, double move kind of routes that you see um, from explosive players. Um, and pr- predominantly, Benny, when when you have matchups, uh, you know, if a team's trying to take away Darren Waller, well, okay, you know, you've got guys like Henry Ruggs that are going to get open, uh, regardless of the coverage zone, man, it doesn't really matter. Blitz packages or whatever, it doesn't really matter because that player is explosive. And uh, Derek Carr, knowing that, okay, it's third and medium. Well, I can throw a slant to Henry Ruggs at third because he's going to get open. He's going to beat his man off the line of scrimmage. He's going to get open. He's going to be a big target. And then maybe we'll get run after the catch, too. So just just being available that way from Henry Ruggs at third standpoint will be a great compliment to what Darren Waller presents to a defense every single game day. Uh, so if Henry Ruggs could elevate his game to that level, which I think he can. I mean, certainly he has the ability to do that. Uh, if he can elevate to that level, uh, look out because the Raiders are going to be highly explosive offensively. That would be a game changer, as they say, uh, without question. You can listen to him uh, every morning uh, here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM uh, in Las Vegas and all the various ways uh, that you can listen nowadays. Uh, 7 AM to 10 AM, the Pritch and Clay Show, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. It's our good friend, Mike Pritchard. Mike, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you down the road, brother. Absolutely, Vinny. My pleasure, man. Anytime you want me, I'm on your show, buddy. You do a great job. All right. Thank you. And likewise, absolutely. Uh, it's Mike Pritchard, uh, who always brings uh, great insight. And, you know, we're talking about a former number one draft pick at wide receiver. Um, and so when he's talking about Henry Ruggs along those lines, I would listen. Uh, don't write the book on Henry Ruggs based on last year. There's far too many examples of guys who get better, um, especially kind of the way he plays the game and the attributes that he brings. There's a long-range vision for Henry Ruggs, and you can't just write it off after one year. That would be silly. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsier, brought to you by Tequila and Bottle. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Again, to Mike Pritchard, uh, co-host of Pritchard Clay, weekdays every morning, 10 a- or 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Um, here on Raider Nation Radio, 8, uh, 6, 20 uh, a.m. Uh, and he always does a great job. Always like to hear what he has to say, especially, you know, the inner workings of a locker room, um, like we were talking about, the support systems that are in place. Uh, for players, not everybody arrives. <laughs> who is who is a finished product as a human being at 21 years old in your lifetime? I know I was, and I was just telling somebody earlier today, it's probably a really good thing um, that social media wasn't around when I was in my 20s and young and dumb thinking I was uh, old and smart and that I knew it all and because I, I didn't. And I'll tell you what, I didn't realize that I was going through my 20s wearing goggles that were all fogged up. Ever, ever you know, be in a pool or something like that, and you're wearing goggles and they're all foggy and everything like that? Um, and, and I didn't realize that I was going through my 20s with fogged up glasses until I got to my 30s and things started to clear up. And I realized I wasn't the smartest uh, guy in the world. I didn't have all the answers. In fact, as they cleared up, you start realizing, oh, okay, I, I don't have all the answers. Why was I even thinking... Uh, that I did. Um, and so to expect people, football players, athletes to show up, you know, on day one 
as finished human beings at 21 years old, that's just so unrealistic. And I think teens now um, understand that better uh, than they have in the, in the past. And there's support groups, support systems that are in place. Uh, Mike Pritchard brought it up, you know, mentorships, uh, former players that are mentors uh, to the young guys. Hey, here's my number. Call me. Call me. And you just hope that these guys take advantage of all the assets that are available to them uh, from these organizations because they're literally there to help. And I know, yes, of course, there's some sort of a selfish interest uh, by these teams. They want you to be able to develop and produce and be a good player for them on Sundays. Obviously, that's what they want. But knowing, you know, profession, I have, I've worked in professional sports and I know that there's also a whole bunch of people in those buildings across sports that really genuinely care about guys and they want to help. That's why they're in the positions that they're in uh, and doing what they do and trying to do their job as best as possible, being a resource, being an asset, being a help. Uh, to, to, to players that need it. It might be, again, money management, psychology, eating right, um, uh, you know, finding a good place to live. Uh, maybe you just need somebody to talk to. Uh, there's, there's so much that's getting thrown at these guys at an early age, and they're expected to just be able to handle it like a pro when in life they're not a pro. None of us are at 21 years old, and I don't care who says that they were at 21 you're lying if you say now retrospectively uh, that you're that you have all the answers at 21. And if you are 21 and you're saying that, you're in for a rude awakening. Uh, I'm not saying uh, I'm not preaching to you or anything like that, uh, but just uh, um, set yourself up for the fact that you're going to understand in a few years. Nah, I didn't have all the answers, and have fun along the way. Make your mistakes. Uh, stay within. Don't you know? Don't do anything stupid, but. But enjoy yourself, no question about it. But just understand that you don't know it all uh, at that age. You just don't. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonson. You're brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Thanks to our good friend Q Myers for spending some extra time with us today. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate the insight from Mike Pritchard, as always. Damon Cotton, thanks for everything you do uh, at home base, making us sound good. Thank you to the listeners and to the callers. Keep it coming tomorrow. We'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Vinny Bonson, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur.